Welcome back to Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650, your home of the Canucks. Jamie Dodd and the voice of the Canucks here on 650, Brendan Batchelor, with you live from Canucks Development Camp. Another two-hour edition of the show, as you'll have all week this week as we get you set for free agency and as we bring you the updates as they happen here from Dev Camp. The combined groups, forwards and defensemen on the ice, going through some drills here batch and uh again thank you to Derek clancy for sitting down for a chat with us really interesting one i thought uh just uh less than 24 hours ahead of free agency opening tomorrow around the nhl 650 650 is the dunbar lumber text line get your thoughts coming in but looking at some of the news that came out yesterday uh around the league batch and also what we could see tomorrow and and how it relates to the Vancouver Canucks and the name and I want to talk about the Raquel deal and the Valerie Nichushkin deal as well and you know what that means from a Canucks perspective but the name that I'm going to be most fascinated in and I think you know (laughs) he's not coming to Vancouver but he could still be the most relevant name to watch for Canucks fans because of the domino effect it could have we talked a little bit about Johnny Gaudreau but I think the real name to watch in unrestricted free agency tomorrow is Nazem Kadri. yeah it certainly is uh and where he goes could very well impact what can happen with JT Miller. I, I saw a report yesterday that the Rangers might be hot and heavy after mm-hmm. Nazem Kadri. So, you know, obviously if they're able to land him, you assume that would remove them from the JT Miller trade conversation. But if they miss out on him, then maybe they're that much more motivated to try and make a move to bring in Miller as their second-line center going forward. Um, so, you know... I think the Johnny Gaudreau situation, as you alluded to, whether he re-signs with the Flames or signs with someone else tomorrow, that's going to have a trickle-down effect that could affect the uh, JT Miller trade situation as well. Uh, And, you know, we always, when we look around the league at at big stories or, or big signings or trades that might happen, we always sort of look at it through a Canucks lens and go, how might it affect the Canucks? Uh-huh. It's going to be very interesting to see how what happens tomorrow impacts the way the rest of this Canucks offseason goes. And I really think the Nazem Kadri situation, you're right, we do that for every big free agent, but I think this one, you can draw such a clear, direct line to the Canucks situation and obviously JT Miller specifically. And I think there's really two key things to watch with Nazem Kadri. One is obviously just where he ends up, right? And we've all heard the New York Rangers connection with both Kadri and JT Miller. You know, I know Jeff uh, Jeff Merrick was on with Halford and Bruff this morning, and he reiterated he still thinks the most likely landing spot for JT Miller is the New York Rangers. So obviously, if they sign Kadri, that's probably not the case anymore. But if they miss out, well, maybe you think, okay, the, a deal could then uh, be there to be worked out for JT Miller from a Rangers perspective. I think you could maybe say the same thing for a couple of other teams. So that's one element of it. But I think the other really fascinating part of it is what kind of deal does Nazem Kadri get? What, and what kind of term in particular, right? Because the idea that the Canucks are going to be able to work out an extension with JT Miller, that's always kind of been founded on, well, are there that many teams that are going to want to give seven or eight years to a 30-year-old JT Miller, right? He'll be 30 when his contract kicks in. Are teams going to be reluctant to give that kind of term, even to a player who's been as productive as JT Miller. Well, Nazem Kadri is even older than JT Miller. He turns 32 before the season starts. He turns 32 in October. 
if he gets a deal that takes him even to, you know, 38, if he gets a six-year or a seven-year deal at a high AAV, over $8 million, that kind of thing, I think it's going to be even harder for the Canucks to try to get JT Miller on you know, a, a term that doesn't go to seven years, right? A, a six-year deal at $8 million or something like that. If Nazem Kadri truly cashes in and get the ter- gets the term and the money that he's looking for, to me, that just makes it even harder for that extension. And we've heard there's a big gap already between the Canucks and the JT Miller. I, I think it could be even bigger once th- once we see what the Kadri number comes in at tomorrow in free agency. And, you know, I think all of that leads us towards one conclusion, which is as much as, you know, Derek Clancy sat here and, and said they'd like to have JT Miller on their team and, you know, a, an extension could be an option. We saw Irfan Gaffar report that in the last hour as well. Uh, I, I just don't see it being realis- realistic. I really don't. Uh, unless Kadri somehow signs a deal that's way less than we all think yeah. it will be, and that affects the market in the Canucks' favor. But with the reported interest in him from multiple teams, I just don't see that happening. If anything, that deal is going to be more expensive when, than we're imagining, not less so. Well, he's the number one center on the market. You know, let's see what happens with Johnny Goodrow. But if, if Goodrow signs in Calgary... Uh, or is off the market really quickly. Nazem Kadri could be in a position where he's not just the number one center, he's the number one forward overall on the market. And what happens again and again and again in free agency in the NHL? Those guys get paid. If you're in that position on July 1st or July 13th as it is this year, you have so much leverage. And Darren Drager reported earlier today uh, about this on Nazem Kadri. Kadri's approach to free agency will be a planned free-for-all. Every interested team will make its pitch. Some will be pushed aside quickly, while others will include Kadri speaking with GMs, coaches, and players. Every team is aware he's going to market, so it's wide open. So there is basically going to be a feeding frenzy for Nazem Kadri's services. And when that happens, the price tends to go way up in a hurry. So, yeah, there could be – I do not anticipate, you know – Five years and seven and a half million for Nazem Kadri or something like that. I think you're going to have to pay through the nose to get him, and I think JT Miller's agent's agent is going to see that and say that is why we're not signing the short term, shorter term, or team friendly extension because we can hit that kind of bonanza if we go to the open market next summer. Well, and even looking at it from a league perspective as opposed to just a Canucks perspective, if Kadri lands a massive deal, how does that affect the center ice market? Overall, mm-hmm. what could a guy like Andrew Kopp get on the open market or Vincent Trocek, you know, yep. these other guys Ryan that are available? Strom, who's going to be out there? Yeah, so, you know, I would imagine if I'm uh, a center ice free agent not named Nazem Kadri, I'm telling my agent, don't sign anything, don't bring anything to me until he signs because I could make substantially more money if he lands a big deal like we all expect he will and the other thing is you know you always hear you you heard going into this free agency season a lot not just with the Canucks but from around the league in general teams are worried about giving out term right teams are worried the cap space is really tight teams don't want to lock in long term but look at the two big deals that went down yesterday right first you had Valerie Nichush can get the full eight-year term from the Colorado Avalanche. Now, he's 27, so you can understand that, right? But eight years, 6.125 a year for a total of $49 million. I think that's richer, even despite the incredible Stanley Cup playoff run he had and the great season, and we know how impactful he can be. I think that's richer than a lot of people would have expected going into uh, free agency, and that's without hitting the open market for Nichushkin. 
And then the Ricard Raquel deal in Pittsburgh, which I mentioned earlier. Again, for a guy who's going to be 30, six years, six-year term at $5 million per season for a total of $30 million total value. And, again, I just it's great for, it's great for teams to talk about, oh, we're, real, we're not going to give out term. But when push comes to shove and they're staring down the potential for losing a really valuable player, well, guess what? All of a sudden they say, you know what, actually we can give out a little bit of term here. We, we'll, we'll, we'll make it work. And... I know there's talk about how tight cap space is and, you know, the middle class is going to get squeezed, but the guys at the high end, and I wouldn't even call Raquel a high-end player. I, I like him, nice player, but I wouldn't call him a star player in the league. But the guys that teams think can really move the needle, they get paid. They find a way to get their money, and they find a way to get their term. I think we're going to see that with Nazem Kadri, and I think we're going to see that with JT Miller, whoever, whichever team he signs his next contract with. Well, and, you know, regardless of the flat cap, Regardless of uh, the situation with how tight up against the salary cap lots of teams are around the league, we see it time and time again. Regardless of the economic situation, regardless of the market, general managers make huge mistakes by handing out way too much money on free agency day. And this year is going to be no exception. Whether it's Nazem Kadri or some of the other players on the market, based on... You know, the thing that's fascinating to me is how different the trade market has been from what we expect the free agency market to be in that everybody's going to overpay in free agency, but the prices have come down in the trade market. And Mm -hmm. uh, I find that really interesting, maybe because teams feel like they have the option to look at free agency to solve some of these issues, which in turn could mean that not just a JT Miller trade becomes more plausible, once some of these big fish are off the board, maybe the the price in the market comes up again. Because, you know, we talked about this the other day and sort of joked about it in relation to, you know, thinking like a lawyer. And I said I've been watching suits <laughs> lately that you want to negotiate from a position of strength. Well, right now, the Canucks are not the team in the position of strength because teams understand their situation with JT Miller. He's not signed to an extension yet. They know how capped out the Canucks are. So nobody, you know, nobody's throwing them a life vest right now. Fast forward two or three days and see if the Canucks can't find a team that wasn't able to sign the big-name center that they wanted and needs to find that guy going into the season. Suddenly, you're the team negotiating from a position of strength. You're the team that's going, well, we don't need to move JT Miller now, which is what the organization has been saying all along. But when you're dealing with a team that really does need JT Miller and feels the pressure to bring him in now, that's where you might find a better return. That's where you could squeeze a couple of extra assets out of a deal. And that ultimately is where I see this whole thing going. I think the other big advantage the Canucks should have, and again, maybe it doesn't fully develop until after some of the big names are off the board in free agency. But the other advantage they should have with a JT Miller deal is, yes, a team is probably only going to, or a lot of teams are probably only looking at JT Miller if they can sign him to an extension. But his contract for next season mm-hmm. is extremely favorable. You know, whether you, maybe you prefer Nazem Kadri as a player, but guess what? He's going to cost significantly more than JT Miller next year. So if you're in that, contender spot in your kind of window, your cycle of team building, do you look at it and say, hey, you know what? Maybe we can't sign him to an extension. Maybe it's not going to make sense for our long-term cap picture. But if we get out a player like that for just over $5 million, heck, maybe the Canucks retain a million or something. And you're getting JT Miller at an incredible bargain at almost, you know, half the cost of Nazem Kadri. 
and that allows you to do some other interesting things with your team, I think that starts to become a really, really interesting proposition for some teams, especially, you know, if we do see some sticker shock with Kadri, Trocek, Kopp, uh, other options down the middle, all of a sudden it's, okay, yeah, we have to give up some good assets for JT Miller, but it also free, it also gives us a ton of salary cap flexibility just for this coming season. And maybe that's a team that, that needs that flexibility now, but it still makes sense for them to sign him long term, right? Uh, whether that needs to happen right away or not, who knows? But, uh, you know, that's true as well. Nazem Kadri, while a great player and a player that you don't have to give up any assets for, is going to be significantly more expensive against your cap in the immediate term. So for a team that, you know, maybe feels like they're one piece away or wants to bolster a roster they're already confident in, you know, going deep in the playoffs. JT Miller might be the perfect fit. Yeah. Uh, now, having said that, if there was a team where that was an absolute perfect fit, I think that trade would have happened already probably. So, you know, that team may not exist, but we'll have to wait and see how things shake loose in, in free agency. And I would imagine, you know, all you need is one team to pay the price that you want to get to have a trade happen, right? Obviously, if, if you can create a bidding war, that's going to be preferable. But if the Canucks have a price in mind that they've set for JT Miller, and I'm sure they do, just like we've heard that they have a firm price they've set for Tyler Myers that they don't seem to be willing to budge off of, all you need is one team to be desperate enough to meet that price, and you can make that move and feel happy about uh, it. Minor Matt, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Get your thoughts in. Minor Matt and Abbott says, I think the most likely trade destination destination for JT Miller is Carolina. He seems like a Rod the Bod type of guy. The Hurricanes one is really fascinating because I think on the surface, you know, you look at it and say, is Carolina the type of, the type of team that's really going to offer Miller a giant extension to keep him around? Probably not. That's, that, I, I wouldn't associate the Hurricanes with that kind of move for a player who's going to be 30 when the deal starts. You also say, well, are they going to be that enamored with bringing in a one-year rental? Maybe not, but... What did they talk about after they were eliminated in the playoffs this year, right? The need to end, the need to add legitimate high-end skill to their lineup. And I will also say about Carolina, one, they've got a deep prospect pool. They've done a great job of building, so they have the assets to potentially make a deal work. They've got the cap space, too. They've got the cap space, and they're kind of an unconventional team, right? So maybe from the outside we say, oh, no, no, they would never be interested in a rental. But maybe they're a team that's willing to say, hey, we've, we've kind of hit our ceiling in the playoffs. We need to make something happen. We have the prospect capital. And, look, maybe it's only a one-year thing, but one year of the, of the value beginning on JT Miller is pretty good considering where we are. I wouldn't necessarily rule Carolina out just because they do sometimes think outside the box like that. Yeah, and, I mean, it's, it's entirely possible that an extension would make sense there, too. If you look at their cap situation, after this coming season, Jordan stalls $6 million comes off the books so that's some extra flexibility that you could hypothetically then use towards a JT Miller extension neither of their goaltenders are signed beyond this coming season uh, you know Freddie Anderson and Antti Ranta combined for six and a half million dollars against their cap right now now obviously if they don't bring either of those guys back they're going to need to find goaltenders so they're going to have to spend cap capital on that but my point in mentioning all of this, is there a team that has flexibility now because of the number of players that it appears they're letting walk to UFA, the likes of Max Domi and Vincent Trocek and Nino Niederreiter, uh, you know, Ian Cole and Brendan Smith both look out on the back end. 
but they're also a team that looks like it's going to have flexibility in the next couple of seasons too. And that's the kind of team, you know, Sebastian Ajo, he'll be doing extension, but he's making just south of eight and a half million now only for two more seasons. You know, Tavo Teravainen, 5.4 million for another couple seasons. That's a favorable contract, so they're going to have to pay him uh, eventually. I don't know. I, I, I think that fit in Carolina might make a lot of sense just because they're the kind of team that has the flexibility mm-hmm. that, yes, having him on a cheaper cap hit in the short term is going to be beneficial for them, but they also might be able to make the numbers work to sign him long-term, well, the, too. The other thing, Batch, is just which team feels the pressure to to make a splash of some sort, right? And again, yeah, Carolina operates a little differently, but I have to imagine there's some frustration. I thought I think we heard the frustration from Rod Brindamore in particular after being eliminated in the playoffs by the New York Rangers. I, I think there's a sense that maybe they've hit their ceiling and they're going to have to do something differently uh, to try to get over the hump and try to go farther in the playoffs. And I think that is ultimately going to be key to finding that ideal trade partner, right, is finding the team that thinks – they're in a really high leverage spot and that they need to add this year to make something happen in the playoffs. You know, I think the Rangers to a certain extent fall into that category. I think Carolina definitely falls into that category as well. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Lots of great thoughts coming in. This one from Knuckhater Kev says, please, please guys, accept your fate with Miller. They overpriced his value for a 30-year-old looking for a massive contract hey, maybe they have set the price really high. Maybe they're not ultimately going to get the price that they've currently set. But I don't I don't blame management at all, at all, for beginning with a really high opening price. You have a guy who just scored 99 points. He was top 10 in the league. Those players don't get traded all the time. They're very, very rarely available, not much less so when they're on an incredibly valuable deal for another season. So, yeah, of course you start the bidding high. If you have to come down – that's too bad. That's disappointing. Maybe you have to face that uh, reality at some point. But you gotta, you gotta ha- make the opening ask a, a significant one. Yeah, certainly you do. And you know, we've talked about this situation so much that we're looking at all potential eventualities here, mm-hmm. right? So it's entirely possible that the Canucks have to take a, a trade that's much less than the value they wanted for JT Miller. Although, as they continue to point out. They don't feel the pressure to do that right now. Now, we've talked a lot about whether it would be a mistake to go into the season with Miller, uh, and it remains to be seen whether you know the organization truly feels that that's something they can do or not. But the way this market sets up, it's entirely possible that, that a team shakes loose that's willing to pay the asking price for JT Miller. As I said, all you need is one. Yep, that's it. That's all it comes down to, and Reg texts in. Uh, something that we've been saying a lot this week, Batch. Wait till the big-name free agents are signed. That is when the Miller trade will happen. I don't think the Canucks are interested in any of those free agents, so that's why they're waiting. Brandon in, in Vancouver says, I have a gut feeling no movement is made either way, and JT is back next year. An extension is a long-term mistake. No movement would not be ideal. I hope they find a way to move him, but making a bad deal is also a non-option. Tough spot to be in. That one is from... Brandon in Vancouver and you know I know Sat has said he would be very very surprised if JT Miller is in training camp without an extension right it could it could certainly happen that he's there with an extension with a new contract in hand but from what Sat is hearing and what he's gathering it would still be a pretty big surprise to see him you know just back as a pending UFA and that's understandable because that just puts not just JT Miller in the front office that puts the entire organization in a really, really difficult position going into that season. And, you know, I touched on this a little bit earlier. 
and it's a conversation we'll have more in earnest if that reality happens that they do sign JT Miller to an extension is what what will give if they do. I mean, just because they sign him to an extension doesn't mean that they can't subsequently trade him uh, unless they give him a full ironclad no movement clause. Uh, so it's entirely possible that the Canucks sign JT Miller to an extension and still trade him at some point. But, you know, whether that means they choose to prioritize him over other notable players on the roster to me is going to be the fascinating part of that storyline if indeed that happens that the Canucks extend him. Here's another really good text from Marty the Red. And, you know, to me this answer is pretty obvious, but I'll, I'll get your thoughts on it, Jamie. He says, if you were to overpay for one of the following, Miller, Goudreau, or Kadri, where would you put your money? Well, I think it depends on the team and the situation, obviously, but I think the best player there is Johnny Gaudreau. Not only the best player, but the youngest player. Yeah. So if, if you're going to overpay and you know it's an overpayment, you got to do it on the best player. And that's, and that's Gaudreau. And as you said, the youngest, too, which makes a big difference in this situation. Now, not every team is going to have, you know, $10 million in cap space, as we're hearing, you know, reportedly uh, that's the number that the Flames have gone to or potentially even north of that to try and get him into that eight-year extension before the deadline uh, to, to sign that eight-year deal tonight so again you know you put yourself in in individual scenarios the Canucks couldn't afford a contract like that but if we're just talking about you know you're building a team you've got a blank slate you've got to pay one of these guys big money on long term who would it be it, it's it's Johnny Gaudreau for me and then JT Miller and then Nazem Kadri, and that's mostly because of age. yeah I think that makes a lot of sense the Gaudreau thing is fascinating because I know you know there's been questions about his game in the past and, you know, how does it translate to the playoffs and all that? But you just look at what he did last season, Batch. That was, like, a legitimate Hart Trophy caliber season. That was a phenomenal campaign from Johnny Gaudreau. And that's why Calgary is bending here at the kind of the last minute to try to do everything they possibly can uh, to get a deal done with their star forward. I wanted to read this one as well. Dan in Fort St. John. Uh, will a Cadre contract be over or under four years by $9 million? I'm taking the over. If, if you're talking about term, I'm oh. taking the over. And if you're talking about total value of $36 million, I'm over definitely taking too, the yeah. over as well. I mean, again, Ricard Raquel, now I know he's a couple years younger than, than Nazem Kadri. He just got $30 million in total value. <laughs> and he's nowhere, not even in the same league. He plays wing. Nice player, but nowhere close to what Nazem Kadri did last year so if he can get 30 million yeah i'm going over 36 for nazim kadri the only part of that thing i might take the under on is cap hit like average annual yes. value of the contract but the term going up and, yeah. and therefore the total value going up too yeah absolutely i'm like i'm thinking more like a five or six year deal for kadri that's probably still in and around that nine million dollar mm -hmm. range but maybe a little bit shy of it yeah and again i think the the flames thing right now is so fascinating because we're seeing it kind of play out in real time when that desperation hits and the possibility of adding or retaining a, a high elite level player is is on the table, teams bend, right? Maybe the, the Flames had that 8, eight by 9.5 offer on the table for Goudreau for a long time. And now, according to Frank Saravelli, they've upped it to eight years north of $10 million per season. I think that dynamic is why you're going to see some sticker shock tomorrow when free agency opens. Here, also, one text I want to get in before, uh, you know, we get out of the way here. Uh, great one from Mike and Willoughby. Sorry, can't see JT <laughs> doing the storm surge. And I agree, I cannot either. He seems to me like the kind of guy that's like, why are we clapping at center? This is stupid. I want to get out of here. 
<laughs> the game's over. Why am I still on the ice? <laughs> yeah, I can see that. I can see what I can actually visualize in my mind now is a very unenthusiastic JT Miller sort of sitting there with a grumpy look on his face, clapping his hands over his head <laughs> like he would rather be anywhere else in the entire world. Hey, as long as the check's cashing, I think you can convince the players uh, to go along with it. All right. Uh, one more segment on the way. We'll play you back some of what Derek Clancy had to say earlier when he sat down for a chat with us. Some interesting thoughts on JT Miller, some interesting thoughts on what the Canucks might do, what type of players they're going to be looking for when free agency opens tomorrow. More of your texts as well, 650-650 to the Dunbar Lumber text line. Final segment of Canucks Hour coming up on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Things in this house are out of this world. This is Petey. Welcome back to the show. It is Canucks Hour, final segment of, segment of a special two-hour edition here. Jamie Dodd and Brendan Batchelor filling in for Thomas Strands. We are live at day two of Canucks Prospect Development Camp in full swing here on the ice. The combined group, I believe, uh, out here batch forwards and defense. Forwards will probably get off the ice in short order here uh, and do some media. We'll play a little bit of that audio later uh, on Sportsnet 650 for you. But, of course, we're not just talking about development camp. We're also focused in on what the Canucks could do in free agency tomorrow. And as we said off the top of the show, it's going to be pretty limited in, in, in all in all reality, given that where the salary cap situation stands, given just the number of bodies already on the roster for the Vancouver Canucks. Don't expect big fireworks necessarily, but there could be still some interesting moves. And I know uh, something we wanted to bring up, a couple of former Canucks defensemen are going to be on the UFA market, both most recently of the LA Kings, of course, Alex Edler and Troy Stetcher. Do you see a potential fit for either of those players in a reunion with the Vancouver Canucks batch? Yeah, we had a text in earlier. I can't find it right now, so apologies. I won't be able to give you credit. Uh, Actually, it's an unsigned text anyway saying, could we see Edler end his career in Vancouver? And to me, the answer to that question is no because they've got too much depth on the left mm-hmm. side already. Uh, with Hughes and ekman Larson, Dermott can play both sides, but he's a left shot, so he'll likely play there. Rathbone, of course, signed to a one-way deal. Left shot guy that will, that will get a chance to play on that left side anyway. There's not room for Alex Edler, and they don't have the cap space to sign Alex Edler. Not that I think he's going to command a massive deal on the open market, but I still think there will be a team out there that will pay him more than the Canucks can afford. Troy Stetcher, on the other hand, to me, is a very interesting one because I think there could be a fit here uh, because I don't see him signing a particularly lucrative contract. Uh, He's the kind of body that could come in on that right side, compete to make the roster, and as we talked about earlier with, with the players they have on that right side, if we assume that Tucker Pullman will be healthy and ready to go to start the season, if they bring in another right shot defenseman, they're probably going to have to waive a right shot defenseman. Uh, and, you know, whether that's Kyle Burrows or Luke Shen or whoever they bring in, you know, that that's sort of where I'm looking at. Maybe you add a right shot D that can compete in camp to be one of the eight defensemen that you would put in all likelihood on your opening night roster. The, you know, Troy Stetcher fits that mold to me, but I think also if he comes in here, 
it would be at the expense of any guaranteed NHL opportunities elsewhere. Because I don't think if the Canucks signed Troy Stetcher, there would be a built-in guarantee that he would be on the roster. No. Just because I think he would have to come in and compete with guys like Kyle Burroughs and Luke Shen, who played for this team last season. And, you know, do I believe that Troy Stetcher would be a good fit? Yes, I do. Do I believe that he could win that competition and make the roster? I believe that as well. But I don't think there's a guarantee of NHL playing time coming with any contract. The Canucks sign with a free agent defenseman tomorrow. And so whether Stetcher comes back here to me is entirely dependent on how much of a market there is for him elsewhere in terms of being an, uh, an everyday NHL defense. Yeah, because it's, as you said, it's not just a guarantee or not of playing time, right? That that would be a battle, but to even make the roster. And, you know, I could absolutely see Troy Stetcher winning a, a, a roster battle over Kyle Burrows. With Luke Shen, though, I mean, we have heard nothing but rave reviews from new coaching staff and new management for the Canucks about what Luke Shen does for this team and what he brings on the ice. And we see it play out in front of us. We, we can all see how valuable he is, how, how well he fits as a partner for Quinn Hughes. I, I, I have a very hard time believing that Troy Stetcher or another similar player like that is going to unseat Luke Shen no, for the roster. No, it's a completely different player profile. And right now, based on the way this offseason has gone, we have to assume that the Canucks will not be able to find that long-term high-end yeah. partner for Quinn Hughes that everybody wants them to this offseason. They don't have the cap space. Maybe they find a way to create some. But if they do, it might still be too late to sign sign a player that, that fits that role. Maybe they look to do that in the trade market. You know, it remains to be seen. Mm -hmm. But as we sit right now, if you said to me who's going to be Quinn Hughes' defense partner on night one of the season, it's going to be Luke, Luke Chen. Absolutely. It, so, yeah. so then you're bringing in Troy Stetcher in a competition with Kyle Burrows and potentially Travis Dermott, too, if you think that Jack Rathbone will make the roster as that third side left pair defenseman to be the third pairing right shot defenseman or potentially a seventh or eighth defenseman on this roster. And if I'm Troy Stetcher, would I love to come back to Vancouver? Yes, he's got lots of friends on this team. It could be a great fit. You know, some of the people that, that didn't give him the opportunities in this organization in the past that he felt he might have deserved are no longer here. But all of that said, that doesn't mean there's a guarantee that he's a top six defenseman no. on this team coming with any potential contract. So could Troy Stetcher sign here? Absolutely. Could Troy Stetcher find somewhere else in the NHL where they are willing to say, we see a fit for you in our top six? I think that's possible too. And if there's a team that does see him fitting in in that role, then obviously he would go there. Well, it, it, the issue of playing time and opportunity and role is so important, especially when you get down to the tier of free agents like Troy Stetcher, right? Because, yeah, maybe there is a mutual desire to have him back in the organization, and, and maybe he could play a certain role. But if some other team that has a, you know, doesn't have the same sort of logjam on the right side comes to Troy Stetcher and says, hey, we want you to be our, our third-pairing right-handed defenseman on opening night, that's really, really hard to turn down. Playing time and role and the, the assurance of a role and opportunity is so key for guys in Troy Stetcher's position. I think the other thing that could change things, and we mentioned it earlier in the show, 
not just for Troy Ste- as Troy Stetcher, Stetcher is concerned, but what the Canucks do in general on the blue line is the health of Tucker Pullman, right? And if you, they do feel they need a little bit of assurance on that side because there is some uncertainty, well, then maybe Troy Stetcher becomes a bit more of a realistic option because then all of a sudden there is potential third-pairing minutes available if you beat out Kyle Burroughs. Yeah, but, you know, we didn't even mention Tucker, mention Tucker Pullman in this conversation. If Pullman's healthy coming into the year, then I would go as far as to say there is not a spot in the top six for a player like Troy Stetcher. So if you're Troy Stetcher and you're signing in Vancouver, you're doing so on the outside chance that Tucker Pullman is injured and cannot play and a belief that you can beat out Kyle Burroughs for a roster spot, which, you know, I think as much as they're both somewhat undersized defensemen, they're also different player profiles too. How many times did we see Kyle Burroughs drop the gloves and provide a physical element on the back end last year? That's not Troy Stetcher's bread and butter in terms of his game. And, you know, we heard Derek Clancy talk about this with us earlier in the show. He was talking more in the context of bottom six forwards, I think. But he talked about getting bigger, getting harder to play against, getting a little heavier. Troy Stetcher doesn't fit that mold. So, you know, could there be a pathway to him being brought in and and given an opportunity? Yes. But the more I think about it, the less likely I think it is or the less of a fit that I think is realistic here for Stetcher, especially if there's a team somewhere else that sees a better fit for him than, than could be here in Vancouver. Uh, 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. And before we uh, do a little bit more Canucks free agency talk, we haven't actually addressed one of the interesting trades that went down around the NHL yesterday, Batch. And I know it's uh, it's something that you wanted to talk about. And look, the goalie carousel is fascinating to see it play out. And I think Canucks fans can kind of just sit back and enjoy because they are in one of the most advantageous goalie positions in the NHL with a player like Thatcher Demko signed with term at an incredibly team-friendly number. So there is an element of just, you know, sitting back and kind of putting your feet up and getting the popcorn and watch as other teams scramble to find goalie solutions. And I guess the Maple Leafs think they found their goalie solution by trading for Matt Murray at, what, a $4.6 million cap hit? But... Man, oh, man. Look, I, I, I understand the idea that goalies are hard to predict and anyone can bounce back and anyone can struggle in any given year. I get all of that. But when you are the – when you have so much committed to high-end players on your roster and you haven't been able to get out of the first round, to place that kind of bet on Matt Murray in that situation in that city, I don't know. I would not want to be the one making that bet, Batch. Well, and if you're Kyle Dubas, like – how big of a bet is this, right? Like, is he staking his role as the general manager well, of the Toronto Maple Leafs on this decision, right? How much pressure do we think he's undergoing? If this Matt season? Murray underperforms and the Leafs don't make it out of the first round, I don't know how you bring Kyle Dubas back. And I like a lot of what he's done. You know, I, I think he's done some really interesting things. But that would be over and over and over again a failure to solve the goaltending situation letting down a really talented core, including the Hart Trophy winner in Austin Matthews, when the, when Austin Matthews all of a sudden then next summer would only be a year away from unrestricted free agency. And it's not, again, look, maybe Matt Murray has an incredible bounce back season. You never know. But if he's just Matt Murray we got used to seeing in Ottawa in the late stages of his Pittsburgh career, not only have you not solved the goaltending problem, but you've made kind of the same mistake you made with Peter Morazic, right? Bringing in a goalie who's often injured, then he underperforms, and you have to, you're paying him too much, so you have to give up an asset to get him off your books. And 
I think if that materializes, and frankly, Matt Murray just continuing to be the Matt Murray we've seen recently, that strikes me as the most likely outcome here. If that happens and the Leafs again are a first-round casualty, I don't know how you can say Kyle Dubas is the guy to figure it out going forward. He just has not been able to address the goaltending situation whatsoever in his tenure there. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see because I kind of thought going into last season that if the Leafs didn't get out of the first round, that might have been the end for Kyle Dubas. And that happened, and he's still here. So, or still in Toronto, I should say. So, you know, you could argue that he's playing with borrowed time right now. I guess I understand the Matt Murray bet to a certain extent because Kyle Dubas has a connection with him back to their days both in the OHL. Sheldon Keefe has a connection with him from the OHL. Their goaltending coach has a connection with him from the OHL. But this isn't the OHL anymore. It's the NHL. No. And, you know, to me, yeah, I mean, they need to find a a really good 1B option to cover themselves because is there a chance that they give Matt Murray the confidence that he needs, you know, show the faith in him that the Ottawa Senators didn't, surround him with the resources in terms of their goaltending department to allow him to find his game again and get back to the level of a guy that won a couple of Stanley Cups, that is entirely possible. It's a possibility. There's no doubt it's a possibility. Is, but it, is it a bet you want to make is the question, though? Probably not. It's, if it was my, you know, if I knew that I needed goaltending to be solved this year or I likely wasn't going to be in that role anymore, I probably would have tried to find a way to carve out another million and a half or million in cap space and go after someone like Darcy Kemper or retain someone like Jack Campbell. And not that I have the most faith in Darcy Kemper or Jack Campbell either. Like, the goaltending market is not particularly good this offseason in terms of finding bona fide number one guys that you trust completely. And, you know, let's be clear, those guys don't grow on trees in the NHL anymore, and the Canucks are very lucky that they have one of them in Thatcher Demko. I, I just, of all the available options... I tend to think, and and we were sort of chatting about this before we came on the air, I guess the only positive to Matt Murray is the lack of term mm-hmm. left on his deal. It's, what, only two more years at the 4.6 cap hit because of the salary that Ottawa retained. But if I'm Kyle Dubas with the team that I put in front of whatever goaltender that I'm going to stick in the crease this year, I'm not worried about three, four, five no, years from now. Is, I'm worried about this year. This is the window right now, and, and – that's the thing with Matt Murray, and this is a good text from Lee in, Coquitlam, uh, Lee in Coquitlam who says, huge pressure on Curtis Sanford as well, and of course, former Abbotsford Canucks goalie coach, now the goalie coach for the Toronto Maple Leafs, and yeah, hey, welcome to welcome to the Leafs. Fix Matt Murray, because we just invested an awful lot of him. That's a huge assignment for Curtis Sanford to take on. It, it's not just that Matt Murray is, you know, injury prone and unreliable and all of that. It's Okay, maybe if you had, it, 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 let's say the Ottawa Senators had bought out Matt Murray and you signed him, you know, one year, $2 million. Okay, I can understand that. And then you have some extra cap space to go out and find that legitimate 1B to be the backup and give yourself some insurance. You're not saving that much versus what Jack Campbell's going to get in, in Edmonton. And I understand the term is there, but aren't you much more concerned about these last two years of Austin Matthews' deal than you are about anything happening three, four, five years down the future? And as you said, it's not as if, okay, hey, we got Matt Murray. Uh, we can just, you know, dust our hands off, and now we've solved our, our goaltending situation. You still got to go out and add somebody else. And it's pretty slim pickings out there, Batch. And you didn't even free up that much cap space. 
to, to allow yourself to go do it. So it, it's a really, really tricky situation. And It's a fascinating bet is what it is because if it works out, Kyle Dubas looks like a genius. But will it work out? I don't know if, if many people in the hockey world have a ton of faith in that. And in all likelihood, it will come down to how well their 1B goaltender can play and who that ends up being. Because, you know, aside from Matt Murray's game, which I think is a, is a serious concern going forward, also his health. Yes. His injury issues, right? Like, That's the thing. You know you're going to need that backup goalie for probably at 40 games. And, like, you're the Maple Leafs. You've got the roster you have. You're really not that worried about the regular season. You know you're making the playoffs. Although, where they position themselves going into the playoffs could be crucial because we saw how tremendous a season they had last year. And what happened? They fell to the Tampa Bay Lightning in round one. And that was a veteran team that had won two Stanley Cups that found a way to get past them and go all the way to the Cup final again. So, you know, as much as, you know, the Leaf fans that I talk to, I've got a couple of buddies that are Leaf fans, they talk to, they talk about, you know, all oh, the regular season doesn't matter. It's what happens in the playoffs. Regular season does matter because it sets you up for the matchup you'll have in the playoffs. Or, you know, having home ice. Having home ice, the likelihood of your ability to get out of that first round, which this team has not been able to do in ages and ages. So, you know, as much as you can say, well, if Matt Murray's hurt a bit during the year, it doesn't matter as long as he's good to go for the playoffs. That is not entirely true. And especially when you're in a division with, especially when you're in a division with uh, teams like the Tampa Bay Lightning, and the, and the Florida Panthers, you know, home ice and, and playoff seeding could be hugely, hugely important for the Leafs next year. Uh, I, I did want to get back quickly into the Canucks conversation here again as we go into NHL free agency tomorrow. And hockey, hockey Jedi Jeff from Little Mountain texted in, what do you expect the Canucks to do with their hefty $2.1 million in cap space in free agency tomorrow? Are we getting a backup for Abby uh, shopping at no frills? Can we afford anything else? And it, it works out to more than just the two point one that you'll see on cap friendly because of the Michael Furland deal. And of course there's always some other, you know, guys you can send down or, or there's always other ways to free up at least a bit of marginal cap space. But yeah, it's not going to be a lot. They're not going to be shopping. And Jim Rutherford said as much for, uh, to uh, Ian McIntyre for his latest piece at sportsnet.ca. They're not going to be shopping for those true big names on the free agency market. We sat down with Canucks assistant general manager, Derek Clancy earlier and, Batch, you asked him a question about what kind of identity they're trying to build with this team and how that could impact who they pursue in free agency. Here's what Derek Clancy had to say. Yeah, I think we're just trying to fill some holes that we think would make us better and just make us a little different from last year. And I think we're going to just kind of see what, what falls our way tomorrow at, at, uh, at noon. And, and um, you know, it's one of those things where you just don't know who's going to be available, who's not going to be available. There's going to be teams that want to move players because they want to create space for someone else on their team. And, um, you know, we like our group the way we have it. We're just trying to make it a little bit better um, and just kind of see what, what, what happens to fall our way. In maybe trying to fill some of those holes in the bottom six, is there a particular sort of player archetype or, or type of player that you feel you want or maybe need more of down your lineup that, that you'd look to target? Um, I think we'd like to get a little harder, a little bigger, uh, a little more of identity in our fourth line, potentially. Um, doesn't mean that we'll find it, but I think ideally that's kind of where we'd like to go. And um, I, I just think that, uh, you know, in today's NHL, you know, you need four lines that can score to some extent. And, and if you don't, you really put pressure on your top six. If your bottom six can't score. So 
I think if we can we can add some scoring throughout our lineup on a more consistent basis and you know mix in some size and some hardness with that. Um, you know maybe a guy's five eleven, but he's a hard player. Maybe that fits our mold. What we're looking for. Um, but I just think we're looking for just a different identity. And I mean I think everyone wants size and a little more hardness in their group as long as they can contribute to the team in a positive way. That's Canucks assistant general manager Derek Clancy earlier with us uh, on Sportsnet 650 batch. And you know who's five foot eleven? Jamie Nicholas Abekuvel. He is mm-hmm. five foot eleven. So, like again, I'm I'm very much speaking with my tongue planted <laughs> firmly in my cheek. But you know, you heard him say maybe a guy that's five eleven but it's hard to play against. Well, you know who that is? That's, that's Nicholas Abekuvel. That is absolutely Nicholas Abekuvel. Um, the other interesting thing that stood out there though is yeah, okay, we've heard so much they want to add speed and you know the, get a little harder and maybe add some size and all of that. But it was also interesting to hear him say, yeah, we want guys who can score, too. We're looking to add scoring. And I thought it was very interesting, you know, when we asked him about not qualifying Yuho Lamico and Matthew Highmore, you know, as much as he was complimentary about those players and acknowledged, hey, we really liked what they did for us in that role last year, it also basically came down to, yeah, we're trying to make the team better. And we maybe think that there are guys who can not only bring some of what Highmore and Lamico did to the team last year, maybe contribute in other ways as well, maybe add a little bit of that offensive punch. And I think the sense I got was, okay, those guys were good, but we're trying to raise the bar. We, we think we can do even better. We're trying to get more contributions out of that fourth line. Yeah, and, you know, you, you look at the type of player they might target, as we were talking about earlier in the show. Nicholas Obey-Kubel had 11 goals last year. Uh, Sonny Milano, we talked about, had 14 goals mm-hmm. last year. Canucks haven't had offense from their fourth line in a long time. Danton Heinen. Now, he probably slots in more as a third liner, but another guy with local connections who wasn't qualified had 18 goals for the for the Penguins last year. Like, to me, as much as they say they want to get, you know, a little bit heavier and harder to play against, I think it's clear that this is a roster that needs more depth scoring, that hasn't had enough depth scoring, uh, and especially in a world where you move on from JT Miller and his 99 points, you're going to need to make up some of that offense in the aggregate. You're not going to find another 100-point player and bring him in on your roster this season. So, you know, maybe Pod Colson has a better year offensively. Kuzmenko comes yeah. in. You, you hope for a bounce some back offense. from Hoaglander, certainly. Exactly. You know, someone's going to get increased power play opportunity if Miller's not here. Maybe, you know, it brings numbers up for, for someone in that scenario. But the bottom line is that they also need offense from their bottom line, their fourth line. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if the kind of players they try to target are guys that can play that role down the lineup, but also are able able to score and able to move up the lineup in a pinch if you have injuries as well. Yeah, I think that's exactly those kind of lower-cost bets, given the cap space, given the situation, that's exactly what we should expect to see when free agency opens tomorrow. And Canucks Hour will be back on the air just one hour after. So if you haven't caught up, I believe the plan is for Halford and Bruff to do an extra hour, so they'll be on from 6 till 10. Free agency opens at 9 a.m., so they'll have that first hour covered. Then Canucks Hour will start uh, in its normal time slot right now from 10 till noon as we do all-day wall-to-wall NHL free agency coverage here on the station tomorrow. The People Show is up next, still live from Canucks Prospect Development Camp. It's the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.